Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with Janine Moloff. This is the premier episode of the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff, and it hopefully it'll serve as a watchdog, no, a pit bull, warning against environmental crimes against humanity and the planet. For too long, the corporate world has greenwashed various actions in order to disguise their crimes. None of us can turn on a television or stream online without being deluged with commercials by entities such as the fossil fuel industry, for example, claiming they're good stewards of the planet as they tout the ludicrous claim that they produce clean energy, whatever that is. This show aims to expose the half-truths, technical emissions, and plain lies of polluting industries and their political enablers. This first episode was going to be an overview of various schemes used to either defang or neuter environmental protections in general, but this is the criminal age of Trump, where the self-appointed infantile emperor routinely ambushes the Congress with his questionable dictates, dictates that are often created via presidential signing statements or executive orders, and yesterday was no exception. Trump defanged the well-established NEPA law, which originated during the Nixon administration through a White House press briefing that describes the whole the final ruling. Now, most people aren't really familiar with the concept of NEPA or why it's important. So let me kind of get fill it in a little bit. NEPA is the acronym for the National Environmental Policy Act, and it goes back to the Nixon administration. And it is widely regarded as, quote, the Magna Carta of environmental law. Now, even though many people aren't that familiar with the law, we're familiar with one of the major provisions namely the EIS, or Environmental Impact Statement. These statements do take time as conditions on the ground cannot always be assessed rapidly enough to satisfy the business community versus environmental needs. And we're very familiar about those EIS statements, Environmental Impact Statements here in my hometown of St. Louis. Uh, We've been desperate to clean up dumped nuclear waste, either used nuclear fuel, that was illegally dumped into an unprotected landfill that we just refer to as Westlake. And this happened during and after the Manhattan Project. We've learned more about the situation and any proposed remediation plans through these environmental impact statements. Now with the Trump decision to unilaterally minimize or even set aside this, this tiny bit of transparency, we may never know the future damage done to us or our children. Now this decision is defang NEPA through what he called deregulation. It sounds benign enough, right? But it isn't. It's dangerous for more than a single reason. Not only do we potentially lose any meaningful rights to any transparency regarding polluting industries, we lose the right to have clearly established laws like NEPA dating back to 1970 respected as a rogue president sets these laws aside in part or total by the idea of a unilateral presidential fiat. In essence, Trump was dictating legislation and didn't bother to involve the legislature. So let's take a look at these NEPA changes. I know there's a lot of information here, so I'm going to try and make this as user-friendly as possible. So the document issued from Trump that was released yesterday, July 15th, basically is titled, President Donald J. Trump is modernizing federal environmental reviews to accelerate America's infrastructure development is through energy and environment. 
And Trump is claiming that he's streamlining the infrastructure approvals so that we can have more building, we can rebuild our infrastructure. And he says that basically this is going to help what Trump considers, quote, the unprecedented economic boom. Now, I don't know what's in the Kool-Aid that Trump's drinking, but I don't see an economic boom for most people, and it's certainly not unprecedented. It only helps certain aspects certain parts of the economy, economy, namely, you know, the Elon Musk crowd. So basically this document is bragging in typically Trumpian tones how his majesty is, quote, and this is from the statement, modernizing environmental reviews. Uh, again, I don't see how that happens, but basically Trump is claiming he's going to right-size, to use his phrase, the federal government's environmental review process. So this is a final rule. It's been, the review's been going on, actually, since 2017, but we didn't really hear much about it in the mainstream media. And so this is the final rule. And the idea, according to Trump's document, <coughs> is that NEPA is modernized so that, quote, infrastructure can be built in a timely, efficient, and affordable manner, end quote. Now, notice. No mention of safety or transparency or accountability to the people. Now, this also, this review document is the end of what has been a multi-year review, like I said, that's been going on since 2017. And Trump's people claim that more than 1.1 million public comments were collected, and it was a broad range of stakeholders, to use their words. Well, once again, comments from environmental groups are obviously tossed into the circular file because, again, this document doesn't resemble anything usable or accountable to the general public, much less environmental concerns. Now, the final rule, according to Trump, again, modernizes these NEPA regulations, and that includes what he calls codifying, quote, certain court decisions to clarify NEPA's application and by expanding public involvement in NEPA reviews through the use of modern technology, end quote. My question is, how? How are they expanding public involvement? Which members of the public, the average working person or corporate lobbyists? Where's the transparency? And this document goes on to brag that, quote, the rule also improves management by incorporating President Trump's one federal decision policy, establishing time limits of two years for completion of environmental impact statements when required, and one year for completion of environmental assessments, end quote. Now, here's the thing. I'm really very uncomfortable with this idea of President Trump's one federal decision policy. This is supposed to be a democracy. How in the world can you come up with one federal decision policy unless, of course, you're, you're acknowledging that you really want a dictatorship? The time limit for environmental impact statements isn't based on science but the demands of the business community. Remember back in the 60s and 70s, how long it took to discover, uh, for instance, the dangers of lead and lead poisoning in children? How many children were damaged by the paint industry because transparency and sufficient studies weren't made public until it was too late for many? So again, these questions have not been addressed. The document just calls these common sense reforms, the ideas that they're gonna quote, slash unnecessary, government bureaucracy and accelerate important infrastructure projects across the nation, end quote. <laughs> Excuse me. So this is about streamlining. 
Well, the problem is that some of these studies and some of the scientific information that's needed in order to make a wise study, a, a wise environmental impact statement, sometimes does take longer than two years. And you would think that the health concerns of the public should come before profits, but that's not the case. Again, not in the world of Trump. And once again, they're complaining about the environmental review process taking too long, um, you know, calling it a burden. My response is a burden for some, the life though for others. And once again, they complain that the impact studies average over 650 pages, and the average time to conduct those reviews takes about four and a half years. Again, these judgments were made to satisfy the business community, and they don't reflect the necessary caution demanded by scientists and medical professionals. Now, according to the Council on Environmental Quality, these EIS statements, for instance, for highway projects, can take more than seven years, sometimes a decade. Again, for some this is an inconvenience, for others it means the loss of their home or their family's health. So, you know, once again, cutting red tape isn't always about cutting red tape, especially when that alleged red tape is really about maintaining the safety and health of our people. So, once again, the President, regard, Trump regards this as burdensome, um, and then he makes a statement at the end of this that, uh, again, if it weren't so criminally false, I'd be falling out of the chair laughing hysterically. Uh, quote, under President Trump, the United States has remained a world leader in protecting the environment and reducing greenhouse gas emissions while becoming the largest producer of oil and natural gas in the world, end quote. Again, the lies in that statement just, you can't help but laugh hysterically if it, if it weren't so criminal. So once again, notice how vague these statements are, though. There's no publicly stated rules, unless, of course, you just happen to have the time and the law school education to dive into the jargon-laden law. This is not transparency. So we're going to go now, we're going to talk a little bit about what is NEPA. So NEPA's been around for, for 50 years, the National Environmental Policy Act, and this is the foundation for basically what we hope to have reasonable, balanced, and transparent protections for our environment. Um, and again, it's a very critical law. It, it, the very concept behind it is, according to one writer, to, you know, just as we teach our children to, quote, look before they leave, NEPA requires the government to do the same thing. Again, it was passed in 1970 and signed into law by Nixon. And Congress, when they passed it, they recognized that government actions on large infra infrastructure projects, whether it's through the military, highways, uh, oil and gas pipelines, um, protections for waterworks, and so on, that these projects can have profound impacts on our community, sometimes detrimental, and detrimental to the health of the community. So NEPA requires that the government agencies actually engage the public in that review process and the idea is to discover if there is any major environmental or public health impact before the decision is made and before construction starts. To give an example, if the government wanted to build a toxic waste incinerator in the middle of a residential neighborhood, and often in the United States it happens right in the middle of lower income areas, the NEPA process, the review process, would basically 
quickly discover the long-term health risks of that incinerator, uh, you know, whether it's increased lung cancer or anything else. And so this has given people a voice, and it's, it's very needed. So there's three basic principles in NEPA, and this is what Trump basically monkeyed with and tore apart. The first basic principle of NEPA is transparency. You know, once again, you can't hold people accountable if you don't know what's going on, and that requires transparency. So it basically says when a government wants to build a project, whether it's a bridge, a prison, um, again, maybe it's allowing an oil or gas pipeline, it has to let the public know first, and the public has a right to speak on it. And because the public, we're the ones who are going to have to live with the consequences. The second part of this process is informed decision-making, which ties right in with that need for transparency. Basically, the detailed study that NEPA is required to do in some cases has to include the following information. How is this project going to be built? What are the consequences for, for communities in the area, both good and bad? Are there any alternatives? to the proposed project that can still meet the government's needs, but also better protect local communities and the people? And are there some substantive measures that you can take to maybe remediate or decrease any harmful impacts of that project? And another part of this is that NEPA gives a voice to local communities because, again, you've got transparency, you have the public as a voice, you have basically um, the informed decision-making, which again, you need that for accountability. And the last one is giving voice to local communities. People can actually get up and attend a hearing, voice their objections, go on record. They can also ask local experts to comment on that. And, and let's face it, in a lot of cases, NEPA is the only forum where citizens can meaningfully engage on major federal actions. And this is probably the most important, what they call pillar of NEPA, because it, it, it speaks to the foundation of democracy itself. You know, we have a right to state our objections to projects that might hurt our local community. And it's really that simple. And big money interest should not be allowed to pardon the pun, Trump, our rights, our right to clean air, clean water, and so on. And they gave an example. Um, NEPA, the NEPA law allowed individuals to advocate. They wanted to remove four dams removed on the Lower Snake River because they wanted to restore wild salmon runs. And basically, there were like more than almost 500,000 people that made their voices heard on this issue including people from the Nez Perce tribe. The fact is this, here in St. Louis, we had environmental impact statements, as I said before, on the Westlake landfill. NEPA is what allows us to do that. We called our own experts because, once again, we disagreed with the government experts. So then how does NEPA work? Well, it applies to all federal agencies, and most of the activities, they you know, they approve and then they actually go about doing. And it mandates, again, the environmental impact statements for all major projects. We're talking power plants. That includes nuclear power plants, roads, bridges. 
anything the federal government is going to be involved in, uh, with one exception of emergency situations. And really, the heart of the review process is basically the agency's requirement to consider alternatives to original product design, project design. And that is incredibly important, too. They are required to consider, I'll say it again, alternatives to what the original plan was. And here in St. Louis with Westlake, we didn't get that, that opportunity. And this also requires the government to go back and think about not only in terms of environmental costs, but also in terms of fiscal costs. You know, is a particular vendor overcharging? So this is really about buying in on the final decision. So really, the NEPA process ensures the public has informed access and input into these decisions, and that can affect the human or natural environment. I'm sure that this law existed during the Manhattan Project years, the public would have shouted no to dumping spent nuclear fuel in an unprotected landfill, which is just basically a big hole in the ground with a thin plastic liner. Seriously, and not always the plastic liner. So and we'll get into that in further shows. So the NEPA review involves three different levels of analysis. And the reason I'm going over this in such depth is so that people, you, you can understand how much good this law does and how it can, re how this, this new, um, this new judgment by Trump can tear the whole thing apart. So one level of analysis is categorical exclusions. And this is the lowest level, actually. And basically, a categorical exclusion is just a group of actions that the federal agency has decided um, don't either on an individual level or cumulatively have any sort of significant effect one way or another on the quality of the human environment. So, and they give the example, you know, maybe they reconstructed a hiking trail in a park. And so when you're just dealing with categorical exclusions, you don't have to have an environmental assessment or an environmental impact statement. And those categorical exclusions are based on the agency's past experiences. So it's not that big a deal. The next step is an environmental assessment and a finding of what they call no significant impact. And this happens if they're not sure, if there's some uncertainty whether a proposed project will have any major impact on public health or the environment. And federal agencies are required then to prepare a short, concise preliminary evaluation um, listing any potential consequences. And that's called the environmental assessment. And it's just basically a paper which it decides, you know, are the environmental effects of this project potentially going to be significant in any way, and, and also to look at alternative ways to achieve the federal agency's goals without having to hurt the environment or local community. And an environmental assessment has to include discussion of the following things. One, the need for the proposal. Two, alternative courses of action for the proposal. Three, the environmental impact of the proposed action and alternatives and for a listing of agencies and persons consulted. And a lot of times this environmental assessment will note and identify some other ways the agency can revise the action somehow to reduce any negative impact on the environment or socially. Um, and if the assessment doesn't show any significant effects, then the agency just says they have a finding of no significant impact. 
and then they go on with the action. No further environmental analysis is required. The third part is the EIS, the Environmental Impact Study. But this is only required when there's an initial finding that what the proposed action plan has, quote, may significantly affect the quality of the human environment, end quote. And this is a base, because of the hearing process, about 99% of federal projects are cleared, and they don't even have to have the minimal environmental assessment. So when Trump claims that, oh, my goodness, all these projects are being slowed down because of this, that's just not true. Okay, the statistics don't bear it out. So it basically goes on to say the federal government basically goes, they take approximately five, I'm sorry, 50,000 actions every year that are subject to NEPA review, but only about 500 that actually require environmental impact statements annually. So, you know, once again, Trump is caught in a statistical lie. You know, again, to review, an environmental assessment really decides is if a specific threshold is crossed, threshold of significant impact, whereas the job of an environmental impact statement is to provide analysis of those significant impacts. Now, EIS, or Environmental Impact Study, you know, and again, these are very important. We're very familiar with them because we've had some regarding the illegally dumped nuclear waste that is a public health menace here in St. Louis, and that's we just commonly refer to as Westlake. And it's had several EI environmental impact studies. And once again, we wouldn't even know how much hurt had been happening were it not for those statements. Um, so basically the EIS begins, they, they, what they do is they publish a notice of intent in the Federal Register. And that tells the public that this, this environmental impact analysis is going to happen. And it gives some basic information about the proposed governmental action. And it also tells the public how they can be involved in EIS prep. The notice of intent really starts what they call the scoping process. And that's the period of time where the federal agency and the public are allowed to collaborate where they say, quote, define the range of issues and possible alternatives to be addressed in the EIS, end quote. And so basically agencies are required to identify and invite the public uh, and interested people, you know, the public hearings, you can have a video conference, formal hearings, workshops, and so on. One last thing, the environmental impact study is required not just to analyze the situation, but once again, to consider any reasonable project alternative. And basically, if a reasonable project alternative was identified and eliminated, said, no, we're not going to do it, the EIS has to discuss the reasons why that alternative was denied. <clears throat> Excuse me. An EIS has to include the following. A summary that includes major conclusions, areas of controversy, and issues to be resolved. Content, purpose and need statements. Why is this actually even being proposed? And what does the agency think they're going to achieve? The alternatives. This part's very important once again. Are there other alternatives? Here in St. Louis with Westlake, we wanted nuclear waste removed because it's leaching very close to uh, a subsurface fire in a neighboring um, neighboring landfill. Again, 
they, we didn't get the alternative, but that's what those provide an alternative. The affected environment, they have to describe what's happening, the consequences of what's happening. There also has to be a list of people that are involved and responsible for the EIS itself, so people cannot remain anonymous. Also a list of agencies, organizations, and persons who received the EIS and index and appendices, and that's like any other appendices listing sourcing. After the EIS is published, there's a common period required of no less than 45 days then a final report is published. A publication of the final EIS begins what's considered a minimum 30-day wait period. Agencies are required to wait 30 days before really rendering a final decision. And then the final decision on the EIS is called the Record of Decision, or the ROD. And the Record of Decision, the ROD, quote, explains the agency's decision, describes the alternatives once again the agency considered, and discusses the agency's plans for mitigation and monitoring if necessary, end quote. Then the EPA is, is required to review and provide comments on whether or not this analysis was adequate and the project's impact to the environment, the user rating system. And it happens occasionally, but rarely. EPA occasionally does say that an environmental impact statement analysis is unsatisfactory. Now, here, and then the whole thing, the final ROD is referred to the White House Council on Environmental Quality. Now, here's the kicker. Prior to the NEPA law, no one in St. Louis, again, I keep coming back to websites outside of the parties who dumped the nuclear waste, knew that this danger existed. Can you imagine how many lives could have been saved if this process under NEPA had existed earlier? So now they talk about supplements to the EIS, and, you know, we can go, this is very involved, but this is something that we have to consider. Um, we have situations on the northern Mariana Islands, um, which are, you know, in the North Pacific, where our military, our Navy is committing, they have war games there, and, and there's some really horrible effects from the artillery, rockets, and such on this island. And, you know, once again, these low-income families and community leaders in the Northern Marianas, uh, because of NISA, were actually able to protest and, and try and fight this. So, you know, once again, I think the benefits of NEPA are becoming pretty obvious. Uh, it basically requires the federal government to make the best decision and to gather information and to include the public and also to consider alternatives. There's nothing wrong with any of this. Now, once again, the Trump administration has been gunning for this for quite a long time. There's no mystery here. In fact, 30 industry groups or basically helped to influence the set-aside of this established federal law. And the industry groups included the Chamber of Com the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and guess who, the American Petroleum Institute. Um, they sent a letter to the Trump administration. It was reported in Reuters um, or industry, and a, a piece titled Industry Groups Urge White House to finish overhauling the U.S. environmental review process. And that letter was basically asking the Trump administration to, quote, expeditiously proceed with changes to the law's implementation. So 
So uh, once again, none of us have that kind of uh, of um, influence, but they do. And this is also a legal Trojan horse, this reform in streamlining. Um, and we're getting now to the White House Council of Environmental, Equ Environmental Quality, which is, as I described just now, the last step after a record of decision is made where it's handed over. And the chairwoman of the White House Council of Environmental Quality, Mary Neumeyer, um, has been heavily involved in this. And, uh, you know, this is, this article basically says basically that, you know, only Congress can actually amend the NEPA statute. All right? And it's only happened twice. Um, and it was relatively minor. Um, the NEPA regulations cover many categories, but it also provides insight to why Trump and his buddies want to target these regulations. And here are some of the categories that NEPA does cover. To quote, the types and size of the projects that trigger review in the first place. The scope and impacts of projects that are considered in the environmental review process, including to cultural sites, water, air, wildlife, climate, and communities. The actual review procedures and deliverables, and the Trump administration, according to this article, has already set page limits, as well as a time cap for review. Avenues for public input in the federal decision-making process and which categories of projects are excluded from review. And that last one really makes me wonder, how did they determine which categories of projects would be excluded from the review process? And basically, the weakening of these regulations, you know, that we know that the Trump administration has more corporate lobbyists involved in it than pre any previous administration. And what's at stake here is our access to clean air, clean water, um, you know, not have to live next to nuclear waste. And so this is really one where it calls it hand-stringing NEPA, and it is. All right. The NEPA revisions, in my opinion, are a scam. And it's a scam to basically destroy the environmental protections, consider it death by a thousand little cuts. All the while, they can pretend, see, it's legal. We follow the rules. But it's legal only on a technical level, and then even that's questionable. So I would call this a scam. It weakens protections, as I said before, for clean air, clean water, public lands, wildlife, and so on. And again, right now, NEPA is required to consider the human impact of projects, including air quality, water sources, and public health. But because these new streamlined procedures change how impact is measured, the overall protection itself can be very severely weakened. You know, once again, a study is only as good as how, it's, how everything's measured. It's a, think of it akin to uh, you go to the doctor and you, you know something's terribly wrong, and the doctor runs the doctor suspects what's wrong and he runs every test known to man, except maybe the one simple blood test that might, for instance, uh, diagnose she was having HIV. And then they say, oh, it's a mystery illness. That's kind of what this NEPA change, changes really are doing. 
all right? Because when you change in studies from the EPA how environmental impact is measured and you lessen the measurement, then yes, you're, you're, you're moving the, the meter and, and what's happened is you're going to severely weaken those protections. You know, once again, we, we have a problem here. So give you an example of what happened in Florida in 2000. Um, to give you an example, because again, a lot of the people that want these NEPA law weakened are drillers, developers, uh, and with when you change the way the impact, environmental impact is measured, you could do it in such a way that they could literally legally get away with polluting drinking water or dumping toxins into the air and not have any sort of legal consequences because, again, the measurement's not going to reflect that. So in Florida in 2000, the Army Corps of Engineers reviewed permits. Uh, this was about mining limestone in what they call the Lake Belt region of Miami Dade. And the analysis of the, the mining impact to drinking water was not sufficient, okay? It was a weak study. It didn't measure enough. And it did not fulfill the requirements of NEPA. Subsequently, the review failed to consider how the mining could impact nearby wetlands. And these are wetlands that provide drinking water to more than a million Floridians. This is the kind of threat that we're looking at now. So, you know, there were opponents in this case, they legally challenged it, they claimed the court had not followed the full review process, process mandated by NEPA. And eventually a judge did cancel the, per, the mining permits. Um, and the court did eventually also, after that happened, conduct a more in-depth environmental analysis so there was a process change that did protect the drinking water. Unfortunately, by then, a carcinogen, a known carcinogen from the mining process had already leaked into nearby water supplies. This weakening of the NEPA law is tantamount, as I said, to your doctor spotting a cancer and ignoring the severity of the illness by doing a biopsy on the unhealthy tissue away from the recognized cancer. All right? And again, calling it a mystery illness, knowing damn well it's a lie. It's a lie of omission, but it's still a lie. So once again, we're looking at the rights of communities to deal with the way infrastructure is being addressed here. And then we look at planning for climate change. All right. Uh, once again, uh, give you another example. In November of 2018, uh, a federal, a Montana federal judge was was reported by Sierra Club, um, halted Trump administration's permitting for the Keystone. Okay, and the judge found that the administration had ignored climate impacts, required climate impact that would come from the pipeline building it, and uh, they rushed it to review instead. And they, in the opinion, Judge Brian Morris who is a judge in the U.S. District Court for Montana, wrote the Trump administration, quote, simply discarded prior factual findings related to climate change to support its course reversal. I'm going to say that again. The judge wrote that the Trump administration, quote, simply discarded prior factual findings related to climate change to 
supporters course reversal. There were facts and they just threw them out. Again, not legal, but they got away with it temporarily. Keep in mind, every time there is uh, any sort of project where there could be environmental damage or health damage and there's delays, you know, they're allowed to go into production, yeah, you might get a court decision that says, no, you can't do that. But unfortunately, it's going to be too late for some people. You know, people are going to be needlessly made ill, needlessly die, and why? For greed. So now, AmericanProgress.org conducted a CAP analysis, and what they did is they found that the proposal from Trump's Interior Department, which was going to expand offshore drilling, could lead to total, and I'm going to quote from this quote, total greenhouse gas emissions equivalent to 10 billion cars. And that's, end quote, that's about nine times greater than the number of cars on the road today, planet-wide. And again, the Trump administration didn't bother with the calculation or the emissions. They didn't care. So, you know, here's the thing. If the Trump administration were really interested in streamlining these procedures, then they could have looked. Congress came up with some alternatives, okay? Uh, for instance, there are already options available. Congress had provided sufficient authority um, to protect our, you know, our environmental review. And they had done so through some permitting review reforms, uh, and it was in what they called the Fixing America's Surface Transportation Act. Um, there was another permitting reform in the Water Resources Reform and Development Act, and another one for the Moving Ahead for Progress in the 21st Century Act. So again, it wasn't Trump didn't need to rewrite, you know, to, to reinvent the wheel. There was already plans there. But the administration didn't want to hear it. Um, so, you know, once again, Trump wants to sacrifice our clean air, water, public health for profit, in my opinion. So, and, and these facts came from the Center for American Progress, and the writer was Claire Moser. Uh, now we're looking at the Center for American Progress statement again. And they, it's titled, Trump's Final NEPA Rule Denies Reality of the Climate Crisis and of U.S. Democracy. Okay? So we have here the Center for American Progress Senior Vice President for Energy and Environment, Christy Goldsmith, and she offered the following statement, quote, the purpose of government is to represent the voices of the people it serves, not the corporations or trade associations that write the biggest checks. Despite all the bluster and noise, no one believes that sacrificing clean air and water will magically produce the funding necessary to build the infrastructure the United States so desperately needs. As COVID-19 and police brutality ravage Black, Latino, and Indigenous communities, the Trump administration's perversion of the protections underneath but deal another blow to these same communities from Rondo, Minnesota to Morgantown, West Virginia. The gutting of this bedrock environmental law denies the American people their simple right to have a say when pipelines are built next to their schools or coal mines are dug in their backyards. Today's final rule denies the reality of our climate crisis and the reality of our democracy. 
The voices of the people will not be silenced, end quote. I couldn't have said it better. Seriously. There was another thing, Tank Earth Justice issued a promise to sue. And they just vowed, we'll sue, especially the accused Trump of gutting the nation's key environmental law, which, again, we know this. And Kristen Boyles from Earth Justice is quoted saying, quote, gutting NEPA silences voices and puts vulnerable communities, health, and our environment, including our air and water, at risk, end quote. This is not going to modernize anything, all right? The Western Environmental Law Center, according to this writer, um, took the administration's euphemisms, okay, streamlining and a revision and a modernization, and they called it out for Trump's attempt to, quote, eviscerate the single most important safeguard for environmental justice, public health, and environmental protection in the U.S. Okay, and they went on to say, quote, this does not represent streamlining, a revision, a modernization, or any such minimization of the very real effects this will have for Americans and the clean air and water we require to exercise our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, end quote. This was the statement was from Brian Sweeney, communications director for the group. It goes on to say, quote, this overreach will also deliberately and massively curtail public input on major federal decision-making. Dramatic? Yes. This is a rewrite of a law written by Congress without congressional action. We will sue over this, end quote. And that's in a nutshell in terms of our legal rights. This, this statement by the Trump administration is a rewrite of a law, and it was written by Congress, and there's been no congressional action. Unilaterally, Trump decided that he could just set aside provisions of the law and write in whatever he wanted. Again, the president doesn't have that kind of right, unitary executive or not. Kristen Boyles, an attorney with that organization, um, also called it out, you know, you know, and she said, when is this administration going to learn that the economy is the people, end quote. Quote, gutting NEPA silences voices and puts vulnerable communities health in our environment, including our air and water at risk. We're not going to sit back and allow a decision that could harm public health during a public health crisis go unscathed. We'll be seeing them in court, end quote. Uh, once again, this is something we have to do. The NRDC also had sharp criticism. They called it steamrolling the rights of the people. Uh, the NRDC went on to say, quote, this is a clear attempt to silence and sideline people to make it easier for industry to pollute our industries, end quote. And again, this is not anything unusual. This Lauren Cagle from Earthworks was quoted as saying, quote, public comments result in better environmental and health outcomes. They draw from the lived experiences and long histories of communities harmed by previous land use decisions. We call on the president to rescind this ill-conceived rulemaking out of respect for communities and the environment, end quote. Former EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy called it out, saying it's a clear attempt to silence and sideline people to make it easier for industry to pollute our communities. Okay? Keep in mind, agencies aren't going to be any longer required to, to consider a cumulative, the, the uh, built-up or indirect effects that a project could have on the environment, such as a fuel pipeline's long-term increase of planet heating fossil fuel emissions. And 
the agencies will only have to analyze what they call, quote, reasonable foreseeable effects, end quote. I'm just going to go and say it. Without such, without such a requirement that cumulative data will not be collected, that's a slam dunk for polluters when they're sued by communities for poisoning the, poisoning the air we breathe or the water we drink. In essence, no cumulative studies is the equivalent of no real evidence and that goes on meaning no conviction for polluters. And uh, again, Brett Hartle, Government Affairs Director for the Center for Biological Diversity, called this dismantling of the NEPA law, quote, a win for corruption, a win for polluters, and a win for those that profit off the destruction of our planet, end quote. And again, this comes right after a federal judge ordered energy transfer partners to shut down the Dakota Access Pipeline. Then the Supreme Court blocked the administration's efforts to allow the Keystone to go on. The timing of this, this, Ill, this illegal rollback taking place, also at the same time people are reeling from the rages of COVID, it's more than convenient, seriously. And, you know, once again, we have to seriously look at what we're doing because how many other laws will Trump decide set aside? It is something to really consider. Um, and again, this is the culmination. There was a, a process that went on, it's gone on since 2017 to tear this apart. This is not something Trump came up with last minute at all. This is something that's been in the works for, a couple, for more than a couple of years. It's very premeditated. So in conclusion, so the NEPA law dating back to 1970 is far from ideal. It has required both the government and possible polluting industries to provide some semblance of transparency and thus a modicum of accountability. Trump's unilateral move to just erase the parts of the law that he and his billionaire friends don't like is another example of presidential overreach. Once again, we see the inherent danger of the unitary executive. Why the legislature, if the unitary executive can cherry pick the parts of the law he's willing to obey and throw out the rest? In terms of NEPA and the transparency it mandated, before this legal is set aside by Trump, again, I think of my hometown of St. Louis and the environmental crime known as Westlake. In 2015, I wrote how, quote, the Westlake landfill is an unlined pit filled with the oldest nuclear waste in the country dating back to World War II and the Manhattan Project, courtesy of Mallinckrodt Chemical Company. Corporation. Originally, this nuclear waste had been secretly transported and dumped through the St. Louis region by Mellencroft with the blessing of the now-defunct Federal Atomic Energy Commission. The vile nature of this crime was based in secrecy, extreme secrecy that led to a cancer alley in Missouri. As these workers and their families were not only kept in the dark regarding the true nature of their neighborhoods and workplaces, they were lied to. Children played on ball fields saturated in nuclear dust, unknowing. To quote my 2015 article, quote, none of the laborers and truck drivers in past decades knew the risk they accepted as they packed barrel drums full of nuclear waste using no tools other than shovels and their bare hands. These laborers and truck drivers hauling the nuclear waste around town, dragging nuclear dust home on their shoes and dungarees were guinea pigs, sacrificed on the altars of national security and corporate personhood, end quote. Once again, we are dealing with a situation where legitimate environmental law is being torn apart 
and sacrificed once again on the altar of corporate personhood. How many children have to nationwide play on, on baseball fields, again, that might have been dusted with nuclear particulates in the air? How many children will have to once again suffer the disability caused by lead poisoning as, again, these, these regulations go by the wayside? Right now it's federal projects. What happens next? That's the question. Right now it's federal projects. But I guarantee you, if Trump is allowed to get away with throwing out parts of the law he doesn't like, just regarding federal projects, that any environmental or health safety concern is going to be thrown out the window the next. We will have no accountability, no transparency, and no rights as our families are slowly and maybe not so slowly poisoned. This has to stop. This is the Environmental Justice Report with Janine Moloff. That's me. This is our premier issue. Just kind of bear with us. We're going to stumble through this. And we're going to get into some depth regarding these environmental crimes against humanity and against the planet. I hope everybody tunes in. We have a quite uh, uh, we have several guests lined up, including some nuclear experts. As August 6th, as we talk about the 75th anniversary of the creation of the atomic bomb. The fact is this, we only have one planet, and we have a moral duty to protect it, to protect the animal species, to protect the planet, and to protect, protect all our people, not merely the 1%. So once again, I say goodbye to everybody, and I hope you tune in every week, Thursday night at 7 o'clock Central Standard Time for, again, my baby, the Environmental Justice environmental justice review <laughs> sorry for this report uh, we're hoping that you will join us once again this was the environmental justice report with Janine Moloff and good night to everybody